What have you got there, Doug? Seltzer, bismolino, fruit salts, pear tonic. Pear tonic. That's got a coal tar base. One drop of hair tonic for age. Gotcha. That'll age that daylights out of it. That's it. You know, it does taste a little like scotch. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week, we watched the second of the 1955 nominees, Mr. Roberts, starring, uh, really starring Henry Fonda, but co-starring William Powell, Jack Lemmon, and, uh, oh, what the hell is his name? Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> Jimmy Cagney. Thank you. Why did I keep wanting to say Jackie Gleason, who is definitely not Jimmy Cagney? Uh, it's been a long fucking week, David. <laughs> yeah. And like, I can't imagine this movie made it feel any shorter because it's the Kane mutiny as farce. Yeah. Well, so this is like, this is like three really good movies that when you put them together, make a not very good movie. What is the fucking tone here? Yeah. And apparently there were literally three different directors, and boy, does it feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Because the Cade mutiny part of it, and of course they can't actually mutiny, because as we know, the United States Navy has never had a mutiny. <laughs> yes. As we learned from... From the Cade mutiny. The Cade mutiny, which was not... Yeah. yeah, from the opening crawl of the Kane mutiny. Yes, this was actually more like mutiny on the bounty as far as I thought. Because the guy was like a jerk from the beginning and then there was the whole bit with the leave. Yeah. I... It's like, what if we updated it to World War Two, and then also like it never ends up really being a mutiny. Yeah, and yet at the same time, arguably there's more mutinying in this movie than there is in the Kane mutiny. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, there's definitely more like, <laughs> I'm just not going to fucking follow orders. And since I'm an officer, I'm going to tell other people they don't have to follow orders, which means that there's even more. So there's that. There's this conflict between Jimmy Cagney as the, like, draconian captain and henry fonda as the executive officer mr roberts and their whole tension then there's this really lovely meditation on like male friendship yeah. between henry fonda and william powell and then there's this like over the top sometimes fully slapstick farce starring Jack Lemmon. <laughs> Playing what a better movie would really play up as the Jimmy Cagney role from this movie being made 15 years earlier. Yeah, that's like a really good point. <laughs> He's always trying to put one over on the Navy. He's getting laid constantly. He's kind of a coward, but in a kind of fun way. And he's kind of an audience surrogate, but too much of a jerk, so you don't like that. Yeah, and also just, like, too broad. He's, I, I mean, I really like Jack Lemmon, and we won't watch Some Like It Hot for this podcast, but it's sort of considered the movie that killed the Hays Code. Yeah. And I watched it 
back in like November of last year for the first time and it's very funny and he's really good at it and he has a very particular vibe <laughs> that is like kind of grating but that means that when bad shit happens to him you can find it funny <laughs> yeah and it does not fit in either of the other two films that are happening on screen at the same time he is in a totally different world like not even a different movie it's like a different universe for sure i think the place where it is most clear that this is three different directors is that the scale of what is considered a conflict varies so wildly because at one point jack lemon blows up the entire laundry room on this ship and then like two scenes later somebody's like ah, i bet it was just a burst pipe and then there are no further consequences for that action meanwhile our lead just like looks at the captain funny a couple of times and it <laughs> proceeds to be like an hour-long conflict between the two of them yes yeah it's like i just don't like the look of you and i'm going to make your life hell i guess we should should talk about the plot of this film because it is well I, there's not a whole lot of it <laughs> It's largely like Mutiny on the Bounty, but with these random, like, side quests for Jack Lemon to be ridiculous. It's Mutiny on the Bounty crossed with the shitty, and I've been trying to find the title for like 10 minutes, the shitty Jimmy Cagney movie where he does blackface to get shore leave. Oh, here comes the Navy, yeah. Yeah, it's the two of those films smushed together, almost literally, like not within scenes. It's like it alternates scenes from those two movies. Make Mutiny on the Bounty better acted and more serious somehow because Clark Gable in that movie is just Clark Gable is phoning in a performance entirely and it's like whatever I take my shirt off in this that is enough for us to get nominated for an Oscar <laughs> and then somehow also ramp up the absurdity of here comes the Navy and then weave those movies together but not in a way where you don't see all of the threads at every moment <laughs> yeah it's like I didn't I didn't hate this movie, but I did wait to find a reason to like it and now in retrospect No, that's not true. In retrospect it has William Powell, and I do like William Powell in basically every scene he's in in this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wish this was a movie about him. Uh because every other character in this when the movie follows them, I kind of think Mr. Roberts is an asshole. Obviously the captain is an insane power mad dick. Sure, yes. Jimmy Cagney sucks. Jack Lemmon's character, though, also kind of sucks. And Henry Fonda's character also kind of sucks. And the movie seems aware of that, but then doesn't do anything about it. Um, essentially, the plot is just that Henry Fonda's Mr. Roberts wants to stop serving on this supply ship that they're all on so that he can, like, get to the real war and actually serve in the Navy during the war. And the captain won't let him, Jimmy Cagney's character, because essentially Mr. Roberts is the only person on the ship that's good at their job. And he's the cargo officer that just keeps ship moving. Uh, and Jimmy Cagney has been awarded for being the best cargo ship in the Navy. Really, it's a supply ship, not a cargo ship. Yeah. And supplying all the other ships. So that's sort of the conflict, is Mr. Roberts wants off the ship, 
But Jimmy Cagney won't let him off because he wants to use Mr. Roberts as a way for him to get a promotion. And the two of them yell at each other a lot. And Mr. Roberts does kind of dumb shit that just kind of escalates the conflict. And then eventually Jimmy Cagney holds surely for the entire ship ransom so that Mr. Roberts will like shut up and stop bucking authority, which works for a little while until the classic Act 3 thing of the villain has left the microphone on while monologuing about how evil he's been the whole time <laughs> happens. Because they have a fight and he forgets to turn the microphone off and goes like, you're still bucking authority even though I held the shore leave ransom. And everybody on the ship goes, oh, so that's why Henry Fonda's been a dick for the past 20 minutes gets together to go around Jimmy Cagney's back and get him transferred to a ship that is going to go into conflict at the Battle of Okinawa. And then in a final scene, that's the only reason this movie got nominated for an Oscar. Terrible twist. Mr. Roberts has been killed in battle by a kamikaze bomber. Yes. And we get to see Jack Lemmon be sad for 30 seconds act somewhat seriously yeah and then go up and yell at jimmy cagney which helps somehow or i guess is like an extension of mr robert's attitude like it will live on even if he doesn't is i guess what i'm supposed to get from that ending and instead what i get is the end of this movie is weird yeah yeah like, like oh i'm gonna throw your palm tree overboard too because it's your fault that he got transferred, which was the thing he always wanted, and you denied him constantly? It's Yeah, I'm not really sure how they make that his fault. <laughs> yeah, it's like the one not bad thing he does in the entire movie. And, blah. Yeah, he has this palm tree he's obsessed with because it was like an awards palm tree. Yeah, apparently the Navy gave the captain a palm tree. Not a medal. <laughs> Not a commendation in his record, a fucking tree. Yeah. <laughs> For being the best supply ship. And like the big Act 3 conflict is that Mr. Roberts can't take it anymore and throws the palm tree overboard. And Jimmy Cagney loses his goddamn mind when he finds out and like is going to force everybody to stand at battle stations until somebody confesses. And then in about three minutes figures out, Oh, hey, it's probably the only guy in the ship that I have, like, direct confrontations with all the time, huh? And calls him up to the bridge to yell at him and then accidentally doesn't turn off the mic, like I said. Meanwhile, Jack Lemon tries to get laid with some nurses and blows up the laundry room. And also, the crew goes out to shore leave and seems to full-blown riot and assault Many men, a couple of women, and the island governor's office. Yeah, which again, somehow is like, oh, they were just having a good time, and this is like a fuck you to the captain that they all hate. Yeah. I have a hard time being like, yeah, I sympathize with these guys who apparently tore the clothes off of several women. Yeah. You should give guys leave and not keep them on a boat for 18 months or whatever without any kind of recreation. I stand behind that. But they should also not assault people. <laughs> yeah. Like, it It goes completely 
I mean, I was going to say overboard, and now it's stuck in my head. They do way too much shit when they get short leave that the movie tries to play off as, like, boys being boys. But about the fourth time they do something where you're like, that's a felony. You're like, maybe... <laughs> and, like, and like not a felony in the sense of, like, oh, they tampered with some mail. Like, they hurt people. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they apparently beat up, like, 60 guys. Again, a couple of women tore the clothes off some more women, then went into the colonial governor's office and just wrecked all of their shit, which is actually the only funny one. Because, one, always laugh at a Balzac reference. And there's a, they threw a bust of Balzac out the window. (laughs) Having a Southern guy doing an over-the-top Southern accent trying to aw shucks his way through... Then they threw out a bust of Balzac, you know, the writer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like, it's it's the one good bit, but it is also the bit where you're like, why is everyone on the ship so calm about this? Seemingly, they've burned this entire island to the ground. <laughs> like, <laughs> eh. And then they, like, try and make it cute because one of the guys on the ship had a romantic moment with a clearly Polynesian actress, which I found interesting. But then I also found interesting that the Hayes office made it like, we just had an emotional connection and looked at the stars. There was no sex between the races. God, I fucking hate the Hayes office. They're so terrible. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're terrible for ruining a lot of movies, and we've talked about that at length. And they seem to be, like, letting up a little bit on films now, not on things like, you know, miscegenation, which will become a major issue next week with the movie that we watch. Yeah, the the movie that is why I'm not Bengal answering this movie. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason to Bengal answer this movie. It's not that offensive. I think I, as like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, we don't uh, see any of the assault. That's fair. I think I wanted to Bengal answer it a little bit because it is a mashup of two not very good movies we didn't like very much. And we could just kind of go like, it's those two movies. Anyway, what have you been watching on Netflix? But I did immediately think, well, if we did that, then the next week I will regret that completely. Yeah, yeah. We're not promising that we're going to bingle answer Love is a Many Splendored Thing, but do not be surprised if we do. Also, for new listeners, because I've had a few people reach out to me who are new listeners, what bingle answer means, and it is named after the movie Lives of a Bengal Lancer, which is the first film that was so egregiously bad and offensive that we watched it, but refused to review it. And we give ourselves one bingle answer card every calendar year. Would be starting pretty early. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but you know, sometimes you just know. <laughs> I mean, it'll, it'll air in April. That's not the earliest we've ever done it. No, that's true. That's just not the earliest we've ever... The, I think the earliest we've ever done it was February. Yeah. And I won't say we live to regret it, but maybe we live to regret it. <laughs> A little bit, but like, God... I don't know, just look at that picture of Jennifer Jones as Dr. Han Suyin. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. We may not bingle answer it, but that looks like a bad time and looks like a bad time in a way we already reviewed in The Good Earth. Yep. So. Uh, anyway, back to the movie we have watched. Oh, this God, movie. we do have to talk about it, don't we? So I do want to actually touch on, uh, in a little more detail, some of the backstory of the production of this film, because I think it explains a lot of its 
not very goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, John Ford was hired to direct it. Initially, the producers wanted to cast Marlon Brando in the eponymous Mr. Roberts part. Then John Ford came on and said, no, I want Henry Fonda. The studio was like, isn't he kind of old? And like, does anyone even remember that guy? Because he hasn't done any movies since, well, since the last movie he did with you eight years ago. But Ford insisted. Met Cagney at the airport before shooting commenced and basically told him, like, you and I are going to have a knockdown drag out fight before this shoot is over. Not the best way to start a professional relationship with someone who was working under you. Yeah. And apparently they did actually get into... Well, Ford got into fights with everybody. What I find funny is that apparently Cagney, like, picks a fight on the very first day. Cagney does what Mr. Roberts does. Hilariously enough, because he picks a fight on the very first day yes. and then goes like, I'm ready to escalate this. But like, I'm ready to physically fight you. Ford was like, oh, I'm not. Yeah. Then that was the end of it between the two of them. It's actually quite funny that the specific thing that Ford said to Cagney was to warn him that they would, quote, tangle asses. Yeah. <laughs> Which feels like. You didn't think that through because like that's not a phrase that people use and the image is not what I'm <laughs> does not <laughs> seem to me like fighting. But OK, buddy. And then Ford had problems with Fonda, who he had specifically asked to be cast in this role and with whom he'd worked several times before. So I don't know what the fuck was going on with John Ford. And then he ended up having to have emergency gallbladder surgery. And was replaced by Mervyn Leroy, who has a completely different style to John Ford. Like, there have been John Ford movies that we haven't loved, and I think I'm probably even more critical of him than you are, which is unusual for anything that we both dislike. <laughs> and any director who's made more than one film set on a boat. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> But he's a serious director. He is not like, I mean, auteurs don't really have the same extreme aesthetic style that they will start to have later when we get out of the studio system. But like, he's an auteur. And Mervyn Leroy is not that. <laughs> he basically directs B-plus movies is how I like to think of them. <laughs> It is very funny to me that this Wikipedia page is like, there's been a lot of speculation about which director directed which thing. And it's like, oh, well, Mervyn Leroy directed all the shots that look like a fucking sitcom. So probably you'll be able to figure it out from that. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> not hard at all to figure out which... Uh... <laughs> Which of these were Which his. flatly lit, like, against a cardboard background shots. Right. The only parts that I'm like, I don't know who directed them, would be Joshua Logan. Because apparently they had a third director come in. Because he was the one who had directed the stage production. And so ended up reshooting major portions of the film 
at Henry Fonda's request, which I guess are probably going to be like more of the William Powell moments that feel like well-directed theater. <laughs> they're quieter, they're calmer, they're not flashy, but they're, uh, to me, they're the best parts of the movie. Here is what I think is going on beneath these production anecdotes I that I haven't read up enough to know for sure. But these production anecdotes seem so focused on the personalities that it feels like there has to be an underlying conflict here that we're just not talking about so that we can talk about the famous people. And it feels like the underlying conflict is, is this a comedy or a drama? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If John Ford and Jimmy Cagney are getting into a fight immediately, it feels like it's because Jimmy Cagney is like, this is a comedy. It's a broad comedy. And that's why these people are behaving like this. And Ford is like, no, this is a movie about like desperate people in the throes of a war, which it arguably is. <laughs> Instead of playing it with any drama, the movie kind of throws away very dramatic scenes to have like Captain Morton, which is Jimmy Cagney's character, Play is kind of a, like, Colonel Clinkish buffoonish figure. Like, he never puts one over on anybody. Even the scene where he gets what he wants by holding the, the crew's liberty hostage, it feels like Mr. Roberts wins that scene in a weird kind of way. Even though, objectively, he lost on every level, there's still this feeling of, like, Oh, once again, this dipshit has ruined everything. Because there's that weird moment at the very end of the scene where he tries to only give half the ship liberty. And Mr. Roberts is like, if you're going to do the deal, it's for the whole damn ship. Or some similarly <laughs> crappy line. Something like that. Yeah. And then he's got to go like, well, I guess I'll, you know, whatever. And it, the only person that seems to be balancing the tones well is William Powell, which is why I think he's the only performance I actually really like in this movie, because he's like this world-weary ship's doctor that's friends with Mr. Roberts, but is also kind of chill with being on a supply ship. Like, we're all doing what we can for the war effort, man. Calm down. And he's older than everybody else, and visibly so. This is not a situation where they tried to make him look as young as all the other guys on the ship. He's, like, white-haired and has a white mustache and is, like, you know, he's hanging out, doing doing his part for the war as best he can at the age of 56, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Something older than most of the people in the military. Yeah, I agree that he is kind of the only one who is balancing that. Though I don't entirely feel like Jimmy Cagney is in a broad comedy. But Jimmy Cagney is also a good enough comedic actor that in a comedic role, he would not act goofy as the villain. Like, he would take it very seriously. And, like, Jimmy Cagney can annoy the shit out of me and has played a lot of roles that I thought were very annoying. I think he's playing this part correctly. It's just that... I I mean, first of all, he's so removed from everything, right? Like, his only real interaction is mostly with henry fonda and henry fonda is playing like soulful guy who is so oppressed and is just trying to do right by the little guys on the ship and like 
Jimmy Cagney is playing the glorified Bond villain, basically. Yeah, like, I I don't know how much it's his fault, but I just don't think Jimmy Cagney's playing this role correctly. Because, like, you don't really meet him until, like, 30, 40 minutes into the movie. But he's referenced a lot before then. And you kind of get the sense from the script that, like, he's this larger-than-life person and everybody has to kind of bend around him. And instead, he's just kind of this sputtering fool and everyone on the ship immediately is like, God, this fucker again. <laughs> like, there is no sense of the cane mutiny-ness of this guy does have gravitas and a certain magnetism about him. He's just insane. Like, he's ju- he just is an asshole. Like, when Mr. Roberts goes like, how'd a dumb fuck like you ever get command of a ship like this? Which they he doesn't cuss because Hayes' office. But when he asks the question, literally, how did you ever get command of a ship? You do think, yeah, how the hell did he ever get command of a ship? Like, what happened? Whereas, like, with, with the Kane mutiny, this guy's unstable. This guy should not be in command of a ship. But I know where we got there. Like, I know how he became a captain. It's not weird that that happened. Yeah. There is a weird monologue that he has, that Jimmy Cagney has, where he talks about how he hates college boys ever since he started as a busboy at the age of 10 and he was dealing with drunk college guys and they all looked down on him when he got on his first ship as a steward and was carrying their luggage. But now he's the captain of a naval ship. And it feels like that wants to be something sympathetic. You know, it's the villain origin story. Yeah. (laughs) They were never going to get along because, like, Fonda is this smart college kid and Jimmy Cagney is this, like, street smart wise guy who had to start working at the tender age of 10. Except that literally nothing else in their characters supports that at all. Right. (laughs) Like, I would not have thought Mr. Roberts was, like, a college guy the way that Fred McMurray is in the Kane mutiny where it's very clear that he's a writer and he has literary ambitions. Henry Fonda doesn't really seem to be like the only evidence we have for this is Jimmy Cagney getting mad at him. (laughs) There's something there to the idea of this guy was pushed around so much that now that he has a little bit of power, he's going to abuse it to hurt the people that hurt him. But he's also a striver, which is a different type of being a power mad asshole. And he's also just kind of a buffoon who is clearly covering up that he knows he's inadequate, which is yet another type of villain origin story. Like, he just kind of has too much going on in terms of why he's like this. So he becomes this kind of like broadly comedic buffoon figure. I think you could have a captain who it's genuinely scary when he comes around and still have this movie be a comedy. I don't think this movie needs to go all the way over into being a drama, but it does need to do that more for the last scene to not play like parody. (laughs) Right. And then and then there is Jack Lemmon. (laughs) I think Jack Lemmon's parts are so frustrating to me because they are funny and they're entertaining, but they also are like, what the fuck are these things doing in this movie? For sure. I would love to see the movie where Jack Lemmon is the title character and it's about like his hijinks basically being a complete fucking slacker, but also somehow incredibly resourceful and always having anything that he needs. 
and being a ladies' man despite being incredibly anxious all the time. Yeah. And it would have been funny. Like, it would have been a light comedy. But it is so disruptive, even more so than the stuff with Jimmy Cagney, that I wonder how much of this was added for the film. Apparently, Henry Fonda in his autobiography said that, you know, he thought the film was good, but that the play was even better. And I'm like, is it because there weren't silly, like, homemade toilet paper roll dynamite jokes in it? (laughs) Or, like, making fake scotch so that he can get laid with a nurse he met 30 seconds before? (laughs) Here's the thing with Jack Lemmon's character, is that, like, not only is he playing this character as a broadly comic figure, he could just be lifted out of this movie, and it's fine. Like, the captain obviously needs to be here for this movie to work. And so he is still connected through the plot, through the fact that his conflicts with Mr. Roberts are the spine of this movie. And in that way, even when Jimmy Cagney's tone is a little bit off, he still feels like he's in this movie. When Jack Lemmon's tone is off, he's just off in this completely different fucking film that you're watching for five, ten minutes, and then it's back to Mr. Roberts. Yeah, I mean, it's comic relief in the most extreme way I can think, where, like, there are interludes. Yeah. It's like, if you went to go see a pretty serious dramedy, I guess, stage play, And every few minutes, they were just like, and now a little vaudeville sketch. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? And it does feel so unrelated. Literally, nothing that happens in the main plot is influenced at all by Jack Lemmon. Yeah. Including the throwing of the tree overboard at the end. That's so unnecessary. Literally, any other person could have read that letter. That's the heart-wrenching moment where we find out that Henry Fonda died. It's nothing, and it's so much of this movie. (laughs) It's absolutely, like, the movie wants that in a weird way to be the spine of the movie, right? They want this to be another, like, how a guy learned to be a good Navy officer movie. Where, like, it's about his growth and finally being able to stand up to the captain for the crew. But one, he's standing up to the captain at the end for himself. And they should have had a scene where Jimmy Cagney was a dick about Mr. Roberts dying, if that's going to be the end of the movie, first of all. Right, because again, it's completely unrelated to the captain, who is a dick a lot of the time, but was the guy who kept him on the supply ship through the whole movie. Yeah. It's very strange, and it tries to make it so that we care more about Jack Lemmon's character than we care about anybody else, and it fails completely, because he does feel like this weird cast-off throwaway comic relief character, and then in the last scene, you're like, was he supposed to be the emotional through-line of this film? Like, was that what we were doing here? Because the motherfucker blew up a laundry room and then a bunch of suds came out of it 15 minutes ago. Yep. Like. (sighs) Yeah, so, um, I guess, I guess we should rate this movie now that we've gone through every single way in which it is a disaster. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we should also actually say that William Powell has a lot of good scenes that balance those sort of two sides of this movie. Mm. I think my favorite one being the scene where he is dealing with everybody who has come into the med bay trying to get out of work that day. (laughs) And he is like having fun with it while also very clearly being like, same shit, different day. Like, every day, people come in with these fake maladies to try and get out of doing work. And, like, as long as I'm going to spend every day giving a mad villain, telling them to get to their stations, I might as well have fun with it. So he goes, <laughs> like, oh, do you have a ringing in your ear? Is the ringing in your ear more of a bong bing or more of a bing bong? And the guy goes, bong bing? No, nope, it was bing bong. No second guesses. You got to get to work. <laughs> it's like... That's fun. And like, is, hey, this is real and a real situation, but also people are trying to have fun where they can. Right. Like, in a weird way, that's the, God, I am just now processing, that is supposed to be the point of this fucking movie. Because that's what Roberts's letter from the battleship that he writes before he gets killed is entirely about. Is like finding the small moments of levity in the miserable grind of the Navy, of just being on a boat. And, like, instead it's, like, ping-ponging back and forth between those two tones, rather than marrying them in some way. Uh, It's just constantly clashing. Uh, And disheartening. Yeah. This was also William Powell's last film. Oh. Despite the fact that he lived for... Like another 50 years, and I cannot find what else he did. Another, not another 50 years, sorry, like another 30 years. Yeah, which is still pretty damn long. And yeah, that's like what what did he do for 30 years? Did he go to TV or anything? Not, I mean, maybe, but it's not, not on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, he just, he was just like, I'm done, and then. I guess he just retired. I mean, I guess you could you could do that. That's allowed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I imagine he had a good amount of money, and I don't know if I would have wanted to, like, age into being the wise doctor character after, you know, yeah. being in The Thin Man. Uh, he was, you know, like, he was 63. I guess you're allowed to do that. He also, I mean, he lived to be 91, so it, it wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, well, he lived another 30 years, but he died at, like, 75. Um, so, yeah, he was already 62 or 63 in this film. So, yeah, I guess it, I guess people retired. <laughs> you know, that's a thing that, that yeah, this... I will never get to do. So <laughs> Nice work if you can get it, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... But yeah, to uh, to rate this movie, I... I'm torn between a three and a four. Yeah, I... So it's weird because, like, my impulse is to say that three is too low because it is not, like, wildly offensive. But it's very badly made, so I think a three is right. It is, at the very least, pretty sexist. There is an entire plot line about the entire crew of the ship being able to, like, peek in the lady's shower of a military base. Yeah. I mean, I live in New York, so, like, you know, 
people probably do that in my bathroom too. Yeah. Well, they can't because I don't have the right kind of glass in there. For sure, it is not like the most wildly offensive against women thing that we've seen, despite the fact that, again, off screen at least, several women are assaulted in this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Oh boy, those guys, they just went out and ripped ladies' clothes off while punching people in the face. And a few women got caught in the crossfire of the punching, too. And you're like, is that funny? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I will say at least they didn't show it, question mark. Uh, yeah, three, I think, is a good... It is, it's kind of like by virtue of the one time that there are actually women on screen who get a chance to talk that they make the guys look like jackasses, that is it's saving grace from a lower grade. <laughs> yeah, and I would say don't watch this movie, because like, why, why would you? <laughs> yeah, there's really not much to it, is the other thing about it, is like, this movie has no business being two hours long. Oh, yeah, and that. It's two hours long. Did we mention it's really long? Like, I started it, and I was like, oh, they must have the wrong time on this. Because by, like, five minutes in, you get the tone of this movie, you get how comedic it is, you get the general idea of the plot is this guy wants off the ship and the captain is kind of an unreasonable dick. There's not two hours worth of story in that. And boy, there sure isn't. Nope. But it's a two hour long movie anyway. Yeah, I mean, honestly, as far as like recommending something else that you should watch instead, David hates all movies that take place in the world of the U.S. Navy, except for Anchors Away. So. <laughs> well, because they're barely on the boat. That's true. That's the thing is, it's the more you're on the boat, the more I dislike <laughs> That's not entirely true either, because I liked Kane Mutiny pretty good. But generally speaking, movies like this that are kind of relying on, like, you can sort of feel the, like, isn't this like your experience in the Navy, Navy men? Whenever one of these movies does that shit, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm just so exhausted by it. Oh, man. I never thought of that before, but you're so right. Is that it feels like Navy vet fan service. Yeah. And the more a movie does that, the more it annoys me. So Anchors Away didn't bother me because that film was so detached from any reality of being in the Navy <laughs> that I was like... And any reality. <laughs> that I was just like, sure, great, let's do this. And then when Kane Mutiny kind of escaped that and became a movie about this sort of gripping psychological thriller about Humphrey Bogart giving the performance of his life. Like, then I was into it, and whenever it was Pretty Boy is in the Navy now, I was like, the f why the fuck is this in this movie? Uh, if you prefer your Navy movies to be serious dramas, though, The Cade Mutiny, despite the many problems that it has, is actually worth watching. And who knows, like, maybe there will be a Navy movie someday that we can wholeheartedly recommend. <laughs> yeah. But this ain't it. I was just reading parts of William Powell's Wikipedia page. You're not going to find it. I promise you. I tried. <laughs> oh, no. I was just reading about how his son died tragically young. Yeah. He had a lot of tragedy in his life, which we don't need to talk about. But... Yeah. And speaking of tragedies, next week's movie. Yeah. So next week we are watching Love is a Many Splendid Thing. 
starring William Holden, whom we generally like, and Jennifer Jones, whom we generally don't, and in Yellowface, which we never like. So uh, I guess tune in next week really to find out if we end up bangle answering this movie. Yeah. In which case, we'll probably have some recommendations for non-Academy Award-nominated film media that we are enjoying lately. (laughs) Or we will probably be talking about how much we fucking hated that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I will be... No, I'm just not... I'm just gonna straight up say it. There is no universe in which you will hear us talk about how much we loved this movie next week. You, We may hate it so much that we talk about it at length, but it's either that or Bingle answering it because there is just no coming back from this makeup job on Jennifer Jones no. and trying to tell me that's an Asian woman. You're just, no. yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best possible review that we could give it is, boy, if they had just cast an actual Asian actor in that role, this would have been a good movie. And that's. I'm going to go ahead and say that that's pretty unlikely that we're going to feel even that way. Uh, Yeah. So tune in next week to find out. Uh, And until then. Uh, This was two movies, arguably three, but I feel like the third movie is just that one last scene, right? (laughs) That feels like it's beamed in from a completely different movie. Oh, no, I feel like that one last scene also is in the same movie as the like quieter moments between henry fonda and william powell i yeah i guess i just like unless we're talking like the last last scene where uh, the the palm tree goes in the water uh, really i'm just talking about like i i just bet whatever this was two movies bye (laughs) i'm gonna say three (laughs) goodbye everybody that's science will never be able to tell (laughs) bye yes who is it Captain, it is I, Ensign Pulver, and I just threw your stinking palm tree overboard. Now, what's all this crud about no movie tonight? (laughs) 